Hi, welcome to the Calvin and Hobcast. I said Hobcast. Hi, welcome to... Hi, welcome to the Calvin and Hobbscast. My name is Nathan. I'm your host, the host of the Calvin and Hobbscast. And today we have a special guest from Five Minutes of Mime and Spinal Tap Minute and upcoming uh, Groundhog Day Minute. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mr. Sean German. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's uh, wonderful to have you here. This You're only our second guest ever, I think. Well, we don't we don't like to keep it too consistent, I guess. You're here for a very good one because we've got a little guy I like to call Spaceman Spiff in this episode. This Sunday strip that took place on December eighth, nineteen eighty five, or I should say, it came out that day. Maybe it took place in the future. So, if I could get a little help from you, Sean, to read this strip so that everyone at home will know what was said in it. Sure. Wonderful. Uh, would you like to be the narrator or? Spaceman Spiff. Um, yeah, if I, I'll narrate. You can be Spaceman. Okay, and you can also be Miss Wormwood. <laughs> I'll be Miss Wormwood. Okay. Uh, well, so the the scene opens on a uh, uh, foreboding alien, mysterious planet, and our hero, the valiant Spaceman Spiff, is marooned on a strange world. Absolutely. Right then, it jumps to the classroom where Calvin's looking away. Smiling with a gigantic smile, his eyes just a small circle, but hollow. And Miss Wormwood says, Calvin, you're not paying attention. She's got the yardstick over her shoulder. Very, very menacing. Yeah. And he's got this very, um, I guess, Peanuts-esque grin on Calvin's face as he explores the, the strange alien world in his imagination. He's like a smiley face. Mm-hmm. Two dots in, a, in an upturned curve. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the next panel, we return to the world of imagination, where we join Spaceman Spiff on the distant planet Zorg. Gronk, arg, says the tentacled <laughs> octopus uh, alligator hybrid with a pig nose. Oh, zounds. <laughs> also, <laughs> says Calvin. Yeah, I, I really love these. These Spaceman Spiff strips. I think this is a, the second appearance of, of Spiff in the series. And there's so much creativity in uh, just these crazy worlds and then the the language. Um, you know, Planet Zork. And then we, uh, in the next panel, we find out that the the thing that has cornered Spaceman Spiff is a hideous Gracknell. Absolutely. I like his mask because he's able to change the shape of his eyes to show emotion, even though it's essentially a flat piece of material over his face. His eye shape can completely change depending on his emotion. And it's mm-hmm. a very classic kind of old-timey ray blaster he has. Yeah, for a modern kid, Calvin's imagination is firmly in the science fiction of the 50s. That's true. I called it a blaster. It's his trusty atomic yeah. napalm neutralizer. <laughs> apologies yes we, we want to be accurate here next panel we see that the weapon is useless and spiff is doomed the hideous gracknell seems partially affected there's some smoke escaping from the creature's mouth but it is not deterred it's almost like calvin shot out its teeth 
I don't know. It just seems like he has no teeth now. Yeah, there seem there does seem to be a little disconnect between uh, the narration and the scene. So the you know the Gracknell has not been destroyed, but I wouldn't say completely unaffected. You know, maybe just distracted long enough for uh, for Spiff to escape. And we see that in the next panel, uh, he makes a break and ducks into a nearby cave. Sure. Yeah, I would say the the Gracknell. He felt it. He looks surprised. But as Spiff runs into the cave, we get a panel that's completely dark except for his square eyes. And he says, <laughs> Wii U, what's that awful smell? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I always like to imagine uh, for these uh, Spaceman Spiff strips is what's going on in the real world around Calvin while he's imagining, you know, while he's in this imaginary world and he's. Uh, Spiff is taking actions that are sometimes mirrored by the actual Calvin moving around. And as we see later, well, the next frame, the lights come on and Calvin is surrounded by more hideous aliens. Well, I think they're attractive in their own planets, but to, <laughs> uh, yeah, to us, I, yeah. I guess that's speciest, you know, maybe to other aliens there. Yeah. yeah they're perfectly attractive. The coloring is not that attractive. I'm not a big fan of the orange, yellow, red. I like I like a more cool green and blue when it comes to my aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to objectify them, but the palette is definitely on the warmer side for this one. However, I love the shading on the back of Calvin. The, the way that they show the light coming around his hair and around the sides of his face is pretty remarkable. There's a blue on the back of his head that lets you see the texture of his hair even. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? I bet on the in the newspaper it probably didn't look as good as it does in the, the big book. Right, right. Yeah, there's more detail in the shading than I think we usually see, or at least I usually see in the Sunday funny papers. Usually the, the color's pretty washed out, but in the big collection we get to see all those details. There's no dot matrix in the Sunday. It's in the in the big collection it's just a smooth color so that never would have happened in the sunday strip mm-hmm. but in the next panel we learn what was happening or partially we learn that he ended up in the teacher's lounge during his daydream and i like to think that he said the what's that awful smell thing out loud in front of them <laughs> yeah maybe they didn't notice the teachers didn't notice him there at first and then he speaks up and i you know, i wonder if this is a reference to Back in the 80s, I wonder if teachers were still smoking in the smoker's lounge. Of course, these days, no one would be smoking uh, or should be smoking inside a school. But I wonder if that's the uh, the strange smell. That's a, that's a good point. It could be smoking. Maybe the, the lights were out and they're having a makeout party. <laughs> I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, well, because we do see there's the one panel when he ducks into the cave where it's dark and then the light comes on or possibly just Calvin's eyes or, or sorry, Spiff's eyes adjust to the darkness and then he sees that he's surrounded by aliens. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know what that implies about what the teachers are doing in the lounge in the middle of the day. Well, maybe to your point, maybe a cloud of smoke just cleared and that's how he saw them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Spaceman Spiff typically takes place at school is is that is that right i'm trying to think of if there were spaceman spiff at home but it definitely seems like more of a school escape than 
than some of his other escapades. Yeah, I noticed this as well, because this is also, I believe, the second appearance of Miss Wormwood. That's right. And the, and, the, and the first appearances happen together. It seems to be, yeah, at school and particularly when facing uh, authority figures, the, the teachers. Because we'll, we'll see, um, we do see Calvin in the lunchroom interacting with other children. And that doesn't necessarily uh, per, uh, encourage or lead to the escape to the world of Spaceman Spiff. But certainly as a getaway from from the teachers, he enters this world of imagination. Yeah. And Ms. Wormwood's dress pattern, again, becomes the basis of the first alien, <laughs> the Gracknil. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same one from the last, the last time there was an appearance. Same pattern, though. Also, I totally dropped the ball on saving Calvin's lines about <laughs> I'll set my Myrtleizer on deep fat fry. Yeah, he's, he's got some good lines. That's great. Yeah. Those first two are the, the throwaway joke. Did you read about that? No, I'm not familiar that it's a throwaway. Yeah, the first two, the top panel has to be separate. It can be related, but you have to be prepared because different newspapers would just cut that off and put the Calvin and Hobbes on the side. Oh, right, right. So they can't start up any important information in there. It has to be willing to be thrown away. And that's, you can see that Bill Watterson took, made the best of it and would do his interesting planetscape. Yeah, he would draw a planetscape there or do something else interesting to play with the format. Yeah, so I think we see, yeah, that the first panel is taken out. We can still follow along the story and, and pick up what's going on. Yeah. I found something on the Calvin and Hobbes Wikia, and on that it says, Early in the strip's career, the alien planets Watterson invented were, in his words, quote, rather generic. And I disagree. I like the drawing quite a bit. I think it's still creative. Although, as it mentions on here, that he would eventually put more of the southeast Utah landscapes in there, the rock formations and arches. I do like that later on. But I still think right out of the gate, Spaceman Spiff had a lot of character in its uh, world creation. Yeah, yeah. I thought the, the, the landscapes are interesting, the worlds that Spiff explores. So I'm a little surprised to hear that, that Watterson felt that way. He was a harsh self-critic, though. Mm -hmm. You see that a lot in his things he'll he'll say, and and this was terrible, obviously. (laughs) And you're like, that was amazing. (laughs) Be nice to yourself, Bill Watterson. Yeah, I mean, I think he did a pretty good job and should be proud of himself. But maybe it was that um, that insecurity that pushed him to do so well. That's true. Even though I think the early ones are good, you can't deny the evolution that the strip takes if you if you take that first book and compare it to the last one. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Calvin slams the door, runs out, one of the teachers asks, Who was that? And the other one says, Beats me, Fred. <laughs> and that's the end of the strip. You got anything else for this strip? The only other thing I noticed is we we don't see Hobbes or uh a counterpart for Spaceman Spiff. These missions, certainly this mission, is solo. That Spiff does not have a uh, a trusty feline a, a partner to accompany him. That's true. I guess even with all of his imagination, he can't imagine that Hobbes is with him at school because he's not. He can imagine mm-hmm. everything else is different, but he can't invent the quality of comradeship that is Hobbes. 
Yeah. Other than that, I think this, you know, this strip captures a little bit of what a lot of us felt as children, that the teachers are so seemingly separated from our experience that they're, uh, they're almost aliens. True. He just makes that literal. I guess the last thing is when he's talking, he's narrating himself, I think, but he's also talking in the strip. I'm not sure what he's saying in the real world because he says a couple things and then Miss Wormwood says, Calvin, you're not paying attention. So that kind of leads you to believe he wasn't just talking. Yeah, I don't think his first line that I'll set my myrtleizer on deep fat fry. I'm assuming that he's not, he's not saying that in class. You know, she's just noticed that the glazed look in his eyes, that he's obviously gone off. In his mind, he's gone off to some other world. But at least that, he's not speaking. But then we get ahead to the uh, the what's that awful smell in the cave that turns out to be uh, the teacher's lounge. That maybe is something. Maybe he does, he does say that. Because there's sort of a parallel at that point. You know, the myrtleizer doesn't exist in... On, in both the imaginary world and the classroom, but perhaps that awful smell that is in is in the the teacher's lounge and the imaginary cave. That's true. I, I guess it could be a rubber band or something, but that's definitely not shown if if the myrtleizer is anything. Mm-hmm. I guess I also since I forgot to read his lines when he says zounds, I like that. That's that's a good sci-fi uh, swear. Maybe I'm not sure what that is, and then. Chew electric death snarling cur. Which is one I've not used personally, but it's a good insult. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Zounds goes back to uh, Shakespeare's time. So it's a very classical exclamation that Calvin's using there. Well, how about Perhaps that? He is, learning, he is learning something in school after all. <laughs> that does seem very old-fashioned. Like, ye gods, almost. I would imagine <laughs> is the same person that would say Zounds. Zounds, yeah. Or sniveling cur. Sniveling cur, sure. Or what is it, Romeo and Juliet, where he says, chew electric death, Mercutio? <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's it for this, Calvin and Hobbes. Sean, do you want to come back and do next Sunday? Oh, I, w- I would love to. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you? Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, they can find me at Five Minutes of Mime which is a weekly podcast where we discuss mime and its intersection with acting and dance and all other kinds of performing arts. And you can find that at five minutes of mime.com. And we're also in iTunes and Google play. Wonderful. And you can find Calvin and Hobbes cast at Facebook on, wait, maybe that's it. Find it on iTunes or wherever. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, I forgot where Calvin and Hobbscast yeah. lives. Oh, send me an email at calvinandhobbscast at gmail.com. Let me know what, when the first time you heard the word zounds was and how often you use it these days. Well, that's it. Until next time, Yukon Ho. The excerpts used in this podcast are from The Complete Calvin and Hobbes, published by Andrews McNeil, LLC, copyright 2005 by Vol Otterson, all rights reserved. No infringement is intended. The books are being used for the purposes of commentary and review. He's not serious.